This episode is brought to you by Soundstripe. For the quality of music Soundstripe offers, you can't find a better price. Save 10% on a subscription by going to soundstripe.com and using the promo code NOFILMSCHOOL at checkout. Create with confidence. Create with Soundstripe. This is Oakley Anderson Moore, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Imagine you've got $7,000, 14 days, and maybe one person tops to be on your crew. The bad news in this scenario is that's all you get to shoot a feature-length film. The good news is, turns out, that's all it takes. At least that's how it worked for Alejandro Montoya Marin, who, with some cleverness and elbow grease, was able to use these ingredients to make his action comedy feature film Monday. If the inner perfectionist in you is breaking into a cold sweat thinking about this kind of limitation, remember that 7000 bucks is what it took Robert Rodriguez to shoot El Mariachi. And since it's the 25th anniversary of the film, Rodriguez created an El Rey show called Rebel Without a Crew, where he picks five filmmakers to create a feature using the same sort of arsenal. Marin was one of those filmmakers. In this conversation, no Film Schooler and filmmaker Chris Boone and myself get to talk to Marin about how he was able to pull this off, from what he decided he had to spend his budget on, how he cherry-picked his shooting schedule, and why this terrifying experience was what it took to finally be able to call himself a filmmaker. If you're feeling stymied by an endless list of what-ifs and must-haves that you feel like you have to line up before shooting a feature, this conversation could be the perfect shot in the arm. I'm very excited to be sitting here recording this podcast in the Slate Street Cafe of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, no Film School is on the road here in this burgeoning film town. I've got two talented filmmakers here to my left. Someone you've probably read his work. He's a No Film Schooler, um, and you've probably heard his experiences um, and read his opinions on the site, but he's not yet been on the podcast before. And on my right, I've got a talented filmmaker who just finished making his first feature film for only $7,000 and I believe a 14-day uh, shooting schedule. As you can see on the uh, Robert Rodriguez series, Rebel Without a Crew. Thank you guys so much for joining us today and talking. And uh, yeah, why don't you Introduce yourself so people can hear you, and we're going to dive in after that and figure everything out we need to know. Hey, thanks, Oakley. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Christopher Boone. Um, so, again, regular contributor to No Film School. I, I guess first time technically on the podcast. I think I've recorded a segment that maybe they slapped in, but it, anyway, first <laughs> time actually doing it. Welcome to the First South, time on a podcast, yeah, me yeah, at least. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Southwest <laughs> office of No Film School, right? Oakley and exactly. I out here representing the Southwest. Represent. So I'm, thanks for coming to my hometown, Albuquerque. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to our guest. And why don't you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Alejandro Montoya Marin. Thank you so much for having me, Oakley, Chris. Thank you of so course. much. I'm a big fan of No Film School. So yeah, I guess the first thing, um, I, I kind of want to ask both of you guys just to paint us a picture before we dive into Monday, your future film, which I can't wait to pick your brain about. What is it like being a filmmaker in Albuquerque? And I mean, how did you even end up here? I went to film school in Vancouver and that was during the, uh, the economic crisis that happened around 2008, 2009. So as I don't know if a lot of people know, but Vancouver is very expensive. <laughs> it's like New York expensive. <laughs> So when we finished, we were like, we checked our bank accounts, my friend Ryan Halsey and I, we were, we were college uh, roommates. And we checked our bank accounts and we we're like, oh, we have two grand. That's not gonna last us in LA for like more than a month. So we were starting to look what other cities we can go to that, you know, that could be like film friendly. And we both like said immediately Austin, but we both grew up a part of our lives in uh, Texas. So we said, let's try something different. Look, um, New Mexico is, is really growing and you know, it's kind of got the feel and it's very like, you know, like, you know, there's got a, a strong like Hispanic like essence and we're close to home and we need to go, let's go. And we just drove from a U-Haul to, <laughs> to Albuquerque. It's funny you said that I, I had a similar, uh, we moved here to Albuquerque, I guess in 2008 and um, it was mainly for my wife's uh, work, um, mm -hmm. but we kind of looked at the whole country and where we could live. And you know, being a filmmaker myself, I wanted to live somewhere where I thought there was a vibrant, independent film community. And New Mexico, at that point in time, had its uh, 
you know, the film tax credits have been around for at least five years. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd seen something similar. I knew there was a good crew base here. Uh, I could get to know other filmmakers, um, both above the line and below the line. And I'd also, it's a great place, I think, to raise a family. So I thought it would be, you know, a really interesting place to live. And we kind of looked at it as an adventure, like, oh, my wife would sign a three-year contract. I might be able to make some uh, short films. And uh, here we are 11 years later or so, and a uh, couple shorts and a feature under my belt. So um, it's it's definitely been a great place to live. And um, and it's interesting that you told that story about Alejandra, how you looked at different places to live as an independent filmmaker. And I, I think uh, our listeners out there, I, if you are looking for a place to live and if you feel like you're getting priced out of LA and New York, I really would encourage you to check out New Mexico um, because of the not only of those tax incentives, but we do have uh, this huge crew base and they're constantly working on major features, major television shows, so that when you are ready to do your short or your feature, you're going to have the most experienced crew working for you. Uh, for that. Yeah. yeah, on anything that you've done so far. So if you think, oh, you can only do it in LA or New York or mm -hmm. Austin, all great towns, love them all. Um, I definitely think you need to come to New Mexico and check it out. I second that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I keep thinking about moving to Albuquerque, and who knows, maybe after this podcast. Come, join us. <laughs> kind of need to. Okay, so let's dive into Monday, mm -hmm. your feature film. It's kind of insane that you shot on a $7,000 budget and only on 14 shooting days. So I guess the first thing I want to ask is, when you got onto the show, Rebel Without a Crew, what did, did you think $7,000 was like the perfect amount? Like, What was your mindset going into this? Oh, man. No, definitely not the perfect amount. But I think going into it, my perspective, because the other filmmakers have other perspectives, was do the best job you can, make a fun movie that has no plot holes, and just go with it. You're not gonna you're not gonna create Reservoir Dogs. You're not gonna do Heart Eight. You're not gonna do, you know what I mean? The following. You're not. It's it's just do the best job you can, enjoy it, and it'll portray in the project. That was that was it. I mean, there's no crew, so technically, um, my my perspective was just give them the best shot you got. They'll understand that. It, by the way, it's 14 days, but they were nine-hour days. Uh, They're not 12. Hmm. And, oh wow! And then you have a camera crew following you the whole time. We had three days of prep. We had to cast two hours. We only had two hours to cast our movie. I wrote the script in three days. Like it's <laughs> like I. But well, wait a minute. So write, <laughs> yes. writing the script in three days, yeah. like I imagine you had to submit a script to get in. Is that right? So okay. So take us back to <laughs> take us back to the moment where you hear about the competition and you decide, okay, I want to get in on this. Was it three days to the deadline? Is that why it took you three days to write it? <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> I'll tell you the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, because so, it involves someone you know. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about how did the idea come about? Because I. You tell us the story because I, I, I feel like I did a little research, but I'd like to hear it from okay. you. Yeah, so tell us, how did, it, how did the idea come about? Well, they, I submitted work to them. You're able to submit short films and stuff. And then they got back to me and they were like, hey, so we're going to start this show called Rebel Without a Crew and we would like to, for you to apply. In no way was it, you got it. Hell no. So wait, so you were sending them short films because you wanted to connect essentially as a production company with like Troublemaker, is that? Yeah. So you or, weren't even sending them. Ray Network. Okay, so you weren't sending them stuff to uh, necessarily to apply for the show. No. Just more of like, I'd like to do something yeah. with El Ray. Uh -huh. And someone I think saw one of our short films that recommended me to someone and then someone, it was like a, uh, it was like a little branch with, you know what I mean? Where several things happen at once. Cool. But then, um, when they were telling me this, like, look, there's going to be a process and we won't know till I'm, I'm just throwing a date. I don't really remember. As you guys, we've known our, my memory yeah. sucks. Um, August, let's say August. And I'm like, cool. Well, at the end of July, I'm going to be in Europe with Ariel Rakes shooting commercials. We have three. We have to go to France, uh, the UK and Italy to shoot a soccer commercial. And that's going to take my priority because it's basically me as the director, PAAC, him as the DP cam operator. Okay, no, that's fine. All right. So we go and we're shooting. We, get, we finish and uh, we're in Naples. And Ariel and I go and like have a dinner. By the way, at a hotel next to the airport, my God, the pasta. We were sitting down going, holy shit. Anywho, we go back to our rooms. He's like down the hall. I'm like on the other side of the hall and we go to bed. I get a text. 
congratulations, you're one of the top 10. We need your script by Monday. This is Friday. I run across the hall at three in the morning. <laughs> da, 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 da. He was like, what's going on? What's going on? Dude, I got in. Well, I'm in the top 10. They need a script. Well, just send it to them. I haven't written it, bro. <laughs> so we started, con I called El Rey because it was in the morning or afternoon in LA or whatever. And they go like, well, here's the thing. We can't respect your position if you don't have it by Monday at 8 a.m. LA time. So this was like one of the most stressful three days of my life because I was waking up at five, writing till noon, then shooting, had to go get a beer or two <laughs> because then we, we went to London after that and I've never been to London. And it's kind of rude if you're working with actors and then like, peace. So after that get back, right, Ariel would go to bed. I would stay writing, go to sleep. And I did that and send the script while we were in, in the ocean heading back to the States when you know how you click the view of the plane mm -hmm. yeah and it's like the little plane in, in the middle of like just sea <laughs> and I'm like man I hope this works and that's so, it. so where did you come up though with the idea was it something that you already had in mind is something yeah. you had worked on in the past and then you realized okay I gotta flesh it out was it a short like where you did it come short, from it's you? a short film okay. it was a short film that I did right after a romantic comedy that I did and the reason why I did Monday was because I did a romantic comedy and people were like, whoa, he's going to do another romantic comedy. And that really pissed me off. Like, the fact that you just think that I can do one genre. Because, if, you know, as a filmmaker, I mean, not everyone, but as a filmmaker, me, I want to get challenged to see. I mean, it's technically narrative. That's your job, to tell, to tell a story. And I did Monday because I was like, look, I just want to do uh, a somewhat raunchy comedy. Not too raunchy. Um, that is about growing, secretly about growing up and, you know, male immaturity and insecurity and have fun. I just want to do a fun movie and I want to test myself to see if I could do action. And I was wondering, since there is this action component to it, did you think, okay, this is going to be El Rey Network? Did you want to lean into action as a genre because you're thinking Robert Rodriguez, this might spark with him? It had some influence. But definitely not entirely. I wanted to do lo-fi because I think it's a movie that once this movie gets made with a, a, a competent budget and crew, I think it could do something. I think it could be a movie that inspires a lot of people, but I can't do it for seven grand. And that's what mm -hmm. I needed to, you have to know what your capabilities are. Uh -huh. And that was not it. And, lo and you mentioned lo-fi. That's another one of your shorts that you mm -hmm. have. You, so it sounds like you have a feature version of that. Mm -hmm. But as you're saying, you know your limitations. This is not the right one for seven grand, 14 shoot days. But Monday as a short, you saw, okay, I can blow this out. And like I said, have fun with it. Make it action. Exactly. And make it different. It's not rom-com. And, so. and plus the, the nature of the short or the project is that the day slowly derails. So it lends itself to handheld and just da da da. So I'm like, okay, that that will add to the franticness of the the situation. So in those three days or before Monday morning eight a.m. when you had to finish the script, yeah, were you constantly thinking? Was it useful to know that it would be for seven thousand dollars if accepted? And that that was that factoring into like, mm -hmm. would you write a scene and be like, you know what, there's just no way? Oh yeah, oh definitely. And how did you gauge? what that limit would be because there are i mean i've seen monday and there are a lot of complicated things it's not a film i would have seen and been like oh yeah that's clearly only seven thousand dollars i mean there's like stunts and guns and lots of locations and explosions you know, oh yeah an exploding van you know the exploding van came it was we got lucky but i'll tell that uh, you just happened to <laughs> i just happened to actually like kill someone in a van. no <laughs> No, we, we but yeah, I mean, how when you're writing, like, what's the limit that you know you knew to write the script that that would still be within seven thousand? Well, I chose a lot of locations to keep the short dynamic. That was my goal. My goal is to like let's make it fun, dynamic. Don't let them give, don't give them a second for them to get bored. Because as a, let's be honest, we're all we're all douchebags. As soon as you find out, Chris especially. Oh, Chris, <laughs> thank you very much. No, but as soon as you hear seven thousand dollars, the filmmaker and everyone's like, "I could have done better." It's always, you know, people are like that. So I wanted them to come in, and as soon as the movie starts, it's like you don't. It doesn't slow down, so it doesn't give them that chance to start nitpicking. Of course, the movie's not perfect. We didn't have a crew, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to cam up, direct, produce, and AC. Like that, 
and help grip. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> so, did they let you have anybody? Like, they had a plus one. You had, had a, a plus one. Plus one, meaning what exactly? What he DP'd and did sound and boom. And who is this? Ryan Halsey. Okay, so, okay, so, so you could pick the plus one. Mm-hmm. And you picked okay. your college roommate. He's nice. my boy. Yeah, yeah, so you brought Ryan along to do that. But then other than that, it's, a, it's just you two and your cast? Well, see, the funny basically, thing is. right? Because that's. I mean, basically, but I found a loophole. Uh-huh. My second actor is also an AD. Ah. So we he, didn't make him an AD. He's AD'd all my projects. So technically, as long as he was shooting scenes, he could help us there. Nice. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Clever. So, so you can just get anybody to do, as long as you can rope people in to do the work well, that were already part of the project. Yeah. And well, some, and, and not, well, we all, all the filmmakers got help from actors, like the Austin actors that we got and, you know, the people that they brought. And I, I thought one of them brought people from LA, whatever. Um, they were all very like hands-on like they saw what we were going through and it's like look this is no time for being a diva like i can't do this alone and i when and that's why i will never put a film by and then my name because it's bullshit i feel the exact same way it's about bullshit. that yeah because it's such a collaborative uh, effort so you're spielberg ends, but... or scorsese <laughs> but yeah very cool. they were all super helpful like i had actors jamie picking up cables and doing this and one of the actors going to get us like coffee. Like we were all working because it's like, look, we don't have time and we're trying to do. It's not a movie that's just sit still on a wide and then punch and punch. And no, we're, we pan, boom, pan, zoom. Like we, we wanted to be dynamic. So it's, it was very time consuming. So after you wrote the script and you didn't know for sure if it would get accepted and picked, you're keeping the $7,000 in mind. Once you got approved, I've just, you know, I from a production point of view, what was the process at that point, especially with the 14 days and the limited budget, where did you know you had to spend, like what was your allotment, like where did you spend most of that money? What ended up being the highest costing bits that you knew you needed? A camera and sound, like it comes out of your budget. Um, And particularly sound. I think I went in the middle with camera because I mean, we could put a little grain in there and it looks more filmy. To, and it helps hide the uh, the out of focus shots because there are several out of focus shots. I will admit, um, we didn't have a monitor. We didn't have a fucking follow focus. So in other words, your monitor <laughs> is the little LCD on screen, the on the and camera. the focus is on the lens wow. as I'm panning on a dolly and directing. <laughs> so yes, the movie does have out of focus shots, but it doesn't look horrible. Like, or else I would have been like, we're doing it again. This no, you said there are a lot of out of focus shots. Uh, I w- I wouldn't say there are a lot. There are a few, but I think it. Lenses. I didn't notice. It, oh, thank and, you. And I always <laughs> say that, and I don't say that like there are out of focus shots, but I mean, it's just part shots of, 25, 27B. No, but I mean, if you're trying to shoot a <laughs> feature. A list. <laughs> if you're trying to shoot a feature film in 14 days, you just have to go, go, go. Go, go. But go. I mean, but if we go back and look at films that were shot on film, mm-hmm. uh, all of us have favorite films, and we can all pick out shots that are out of focus because there is no monitor. They don't know what it looks no. like. And you know what? If that was the best take. You're going to take a soft shot because it was the best take. And um, I, don't, yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think people also will forgive that. As long as it's, like you said, it's movie, movie, moving. Yeah. It's, 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 your movie's highly entertaining. I was definitely like, I'm on for this ride. And I, was, and I really could tell how you had leaned into this process. It looked it look like you guys, as hard as it was, probably had a lot of fun, too, making it. We did. We did. But, yeah, I was. it was fun. It's, it's fun, but it was fun, like... That's hilarious. Let's get back to work because we have no time to spend. <laughs> but yeah. to come back to the to the question, the number prior number one priority was sound. I got the most expensive sound kit, and I think none of the other filmmakers did. But it's because hey, that's that's who that's what they wanted to do. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, I feel that people will forgive an out of focus shot, but they won't forgive fucking shitty sound. I totally agree with that. And what we did to kind of cover our asses was we had a boom and we had three lobs. One lob on an actor, one lob on an actor, and another lob standing there just recording whatever it can. You got, I mean, options because you don't, you're not allowed to sh- reshoot anything. Oh. Once the 14 days are done, it's done. done. It's done. So, so that's all you have. Okay, so you mentioned sound, how important it was to you. Yeah. If you do watch the series, there is a hiccup in, 
in somewhere in production and it seems like you lost sound for maybe one of your scenes or something mm -hmm. happened to the sound. I don't know. Can you talk about, there's a scene that you had to do ADR for. So like walk us through that. You knew how important sound was. So yeah. So you we, can do that later since it's 14 days that you had to do ADR. That's within the same Yeah, You're allowed to do that. You, they do give you three months to edit okay. because you have to turn it in so then we can screen at South by. So they're like, do your thing. So in that time, I was able to, um, well, my movie's very, very sound music, sound effect driven. Like it's 30, 40% of the movie. So as soon as we started, we, I got back, I started just da, 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 just putting everything down. And here we go, here's sound effect number one. And when, when others, I remember other people were like, oh, it's, I'm gonna turn it in in a week. I'm just starting sound design. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> Like I've been doing it for three months, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we lost uh, we lost sound and and of course on the one shot, because I was like, oh, I want to shoot a scene where people can actually see that I take consideration into the blocking, <laughs> and that's the one we lost sound on. But it was cool is that in the show, I'm um, you know a shout out to here to Albuquerque. It was great that you were able to work with a company here called Here Kitty, as in here Kitty Kitty Kitty, um, and and uh, also here. Yeah, exactly. As in I hear you, and then <laughs> that's a great uh, company in town. And it yeah. sounded like according to the series, they really actually worked with you, knowing you had no no more money. Yeah, and and hooked you up with yeah, a fantastic no, ADR session. Yeah, they were great. Here Kitty's fantastic. If you if you shoot anything here in Albuquerque and you need some sound design, please go to them. They not only are they, they, they did sound for my last movie called Leslie and uh, they always gave me a prize and help us out. And this time it was like, I have no money, but I can, I guarantee you I can put your logo on the show because they're like, you can do it, but there's no, you can't make any, any payments or anything. And they were super like, look, we can help you for two days. And I'm like, cause they were editing the sound editing for the South by uh, Meow Wolf documentary. Oh, okay. oh, funny. So they're already. And that was like, we're also going to South by, please help us. <laughs> but, and, and that's one of the things I, I think it's great about any filmmaking community, but definitely here in Albuquerque, because you've obviously, you already worked with them. Uh, you have a relationship with mm -hmm. them. Um, they know that you'll want to work with them in the future. The fact oh, yeah. that, and you're not asking for favors all the time, but it's nice to know that like, if you've established that relationship, those people are going to mm -hmm. come out and hook you up when when it's necessary. So I was, it was really great to see that in the series. Mm -hmm. really, Super yeah, nice people. Sure. So you, you talked about how much you spend on sound mm -hmm. and you're mentioning post a little bit. Obviously you didn't have a crew, so you didn't really have to pay a crew. Half our budget was Cameron sound. Okay. So half your budget's Cameron oh, sound. That's 3,500. Okay. All right. So where did the rest of the budget go? What did you feel like was important? And what did you want to spend on that you didn't get to all those things? I mean, there was some art stuff, you know, like props and stuff like that. And, um, like a t-shirt here, some stuff like that. But I think the bigger chunk out of all that, or like if, if there's like a rank, the third one was music. Um, I, I feel that a lot of independent filmmakers do not put enough consideration to the music and it's like your fourth ally in the whole film. Music drives so much. And it, it, it's always been an important part of my life, hence why filmmakers like Martin Scorsese and Edgar Wright and Cameron Crowe and, you know, they're so important because music is, 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 is pivotal to their movie. And for someone like the main character who is such an like pop culture inspired and driven person, it needs to be there. I mean, there's jokes about Tom Petty, there's jokes about Game of Thrones in the movie. And uh, yeah, I was like, I need the best soundtrack possible. So... I tried to save as much as I can. We were able to do 1700 and then just try to convince uh, musicians that it's like, it's, this movie is not a total piece of crap. Look, this is where your scene will be. And no, we, I was amazed by the job that Charles Newman and I uh, did to get like bands. Uh, we got bands like Primitive Radio Gods. We got uh, Sleigh Bells. We got like bands that were just like, we'll give it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this. Let's do it. Nice. Nice. So, no, super helpful that um, artists are helping other artists to make something that they saw like, oh, my God, you did this for this, this, this. And like, yeah, man. And I without music, it'll be a waste of everyone's time. And people were super receptive and helpful. And do you think that people, these bands that you approached, um, do you think that? you're able to get that music, knowing you're gonna pay something, but you don't have a lot to pay, that they clicked with the material and you're, you're willing to 
you're putting something out there that, again, they relate to, but they also want to be a part of, and they realize how much passion you have for the project. And so it never hurts to ask, I guess, no. essentially, is what it boils down to. Like, yeah. I think you make a good point. You have the budget for it, and I think a lot of filmmakers forget to do that, perhaps, mm -hmm. knowing you're going to have to pay, but also, you know, reach out to those artists that you think are going to connect with your work yeah. as well. So. And, and also, like, what I do is not just – what I do is I send them a clip of where we want the movie to go. What the movie is, we do a one sheet. We send them like, this is why this is important. This is what we had to do, just so you can see that we're not lying. And the, I think they saw the fact that the, out of seven grand, we managed to save some money because we know music is important. But it's like, I, I, I wish I had more, but I don't. You know, so people were, yeah, really, I think they, they saw the hard work and said, ah, let's throw them a bone, Excellent. which I'm glad they did. So, I mean, it was 7,000 because that's, you know, El Mariachi was mm -hmm. 7,000 yeah. bucks. That's where they came. If, if hypothetically, if it, they had given you, if it had been 14,000, this is just a total hypothetical, where would you have liked to have put that extra money if you had had it? Or was everything just fine and all worked out into place because you no. had exactly the right? Okay. <laughs> no, I think I would have amped uh, a lot more of the, I would have had some blood. I would have had more props. I would have had more time to do uh, fighting sequences that were bigger with more extras. Um, music. I would have done more music, of course. Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know where. I, I mean, honestly, I am I am happy with a movie. But every time I watch, I just go, <laughs> I wish I would have done this. But it's so interesting because it's like, it's really hard for a lot of filmmakers to start their first feature because there are so many expectations of how good it has to be and all this stuff. And a lot of people do get lost spending a lot of time just waiting for the money to come in yeah. and making sure everything's properly scripted and all this stuff. For you, I mean, this is like ripping off the ultimate Band-Aid ripoff on getting the first feature made. That's Was so funny it equally freeing to have it be only 7,000, only you and one plus person? Well, okay, we're getting personal. So yeah. I Thanks. obviously, we did not... I did not shoot a first feature because of the exact things that you just said. So when people would tell me what I did, I would always say my job is a production manager at Telemundo. I, that's where I work. I would never say filmmaker because to my eyes, I should not be comparing myself to someone like Iñárritu or Ramsey or you know what I mean? To me, that's, that's being a, a fucking poser. Why? Because I love films so much, man. Since a kid, I remember going to the movie theater when I was two. I don't know how, but my mom was like, how do you remember that? I'm like, I remember the big screen and it was a cartoon made from Spain. And I was just like, damn, this is it. Yeah, I actually have a memory of going to see the original Superman oh. in the theater. And I had to have been not, I was, I had to have been two and a half or so, almost three. So but the reason I remember it is I actually remember going out and being more fascinated with the water fountain because Marlon Brando, I'm sorry to Superman fans out there. That is so <laughs> fucking boring. The intro to that movie It's not as like, where's Superman? But anyway, it was my, my brother's birthday party. Like, I'm similar to you. I have a memory of the theater, that theater as a big part of my, my childhood growing up. And so, yeah. And I think for a lot of filmmakers, yeah, going to those movies and those, those older theaters, it just resonates so much with us. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a way of life. And it's, it's, it's something so important in our world that to me, to talk at myself as in the same level was insulting. So, I'd never done the first feature because of the same thing you said. I was not prepared. I don't think it's good enough. So when this happened, I was scared because I know that I'm not that bad. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. You have to know exactly who you are. Not that bad doesn't mean I'm the best. I have so much to learn and I want to learn so much and I want to do more. But I was afraid that by doing this with all everything thrown out the window that it was going to be a piece of shit. So it did help. It, I, I like testing myself. You're not always going to win. You're going to fail. But, you know, like now um, they, I, I got offered to do like a thriller. And I said, fuck it, because I've never done a thriller. Let's see how that comes out. And, uh, and when, I, when they told me, you're going to have no one. You're going to have only 14 days in a city you don't know. Because if they were like, oh, you're doing Albuquerque. I'm like, got this. So I was just like, eh. If I fall and fail, I learn. And if I don't, 
I know that we can do now we can push harder. Well, could you tell us a little bit about how your previous experiences on making short films, I know you've done a number of short films, like you said, you have this production company where you've done commercials as well. How were you able to bring that experience to bear when you made this project? Like, what do you think from those experiences, what worked the best for you when you went into this no budget feature? That we didn't have a budget. That helped me. <laughs> so when people are like, how much is your budget? Seven grand. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> like four days, though. Four days for a short film and seven grand is great. But now multiply that and it's 14. That's not easy. So you're saying in the, having done short films with no budget and on very limited time mm -hmm. schedules is what kind of prepared you for this. It was kind of do that, but do it on steroids, essentially. Pretty much. Like, I, I feel that I, I work really well under pressure. Even though I'm very antsy and everything, I, I do like to take my time and just, all right, we're doing this, this, and this. And then I love to listen to suggestions. So it was pretty much a collaborative project for it to not to be a collaborative project, but there were things that Kenny would come up and I'm like, ah, that's brilliant. Let's just do that. So yeah, it, I think the fact that we never had money helped me to this, like how do we stretch a dollar? And you listen, like they, we got to meet Robert. He got to mentor us. He went to our set several times. We had, a, we had meetings with him and you listen. I mean, it would be stupid if you're an actor and Robert De Niro comes in or Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep comes in, don't listen. Okay, <laughs> shit, you should listen to everything. So this man is, you know, besides Roger Corbin uh, or Cor Corbin, Corbin, Roger. Roger Corman. 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 That's Damn it. Sorry. That's Sorry. Um, Robert Rodriguez was, you know, him, Wes Anderson, Tarantino, they're, they're, they're the like pioneers of the second wave of independent film in the 90s or 80s, end of 80s and uh, beginning of the 90s. Listen to them. Like, they know what they're doing, especially look at his track record, man. He's, say what you will, Spy Kids made a bunch of money and it, it, like there's a whole generation that loves them and Sin City is one of the best comic book movies ever made. I will defend that. Planet Terror. Come on, man. That's one of the best experiences in the movie theater that I've had. Listen. And I was geeking out because when he was giving me advice, I didn't write anything. I was just like, and then I wrote, yes. That's all I wrote. That's I have great it. notes. Make sure you share those notes with us. So I can yeah, I'll take a picture. I'm going to find it. I'll take a picture. Yeah. Like, this is what I wrote. What did this yes mean? It's, I can't delineate it from the other yes. Yeah. No, I was geeking out, dude. Like, that guy, that guy started what I thought was my career or to like, let's pay attention to film. But was it intimidating at all when all of a sudden Robert Rodriguez drops in on your set and you're doing a night shoot? I mean, or was it more encouraging to have Robert Rodriguez drop in on your night set? <laughs> it was nervous and it was encouraging. It was nervous because I told him to move the fuck out of the way. <laughs> and I didn't know it was him. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> but then he came and he was like, oh no, that's cool, man. Like you're working. So it was intimidating because he start, I, you know, I was shooting the first time that Jim and the hit women meet. And he was standing right behind me. So I was like, son of a bitch. Like, I was shaking. <laughs> but then um, I think you get, uh, you, get you know, it, it's, it lasts for a bit. And then you start doing your stuff. And what was encouraging is that when we said cut, he goes, you're editing in your head. And I'm like, yeah, I do that. Good. That was it. He let us work. So I was like, oh, he said, good. That's dope. Keep going. <laughs> so, no, and, and, and no, he was, um, was very receptive. He was very, very, he does pay attention. I tried, uh, he won't know this, and maybe if he hears this, but I, I tried testing him to see if he read the script, and he <laughs> read it. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> like, I asked him a question that was, like, very obscure. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, maybe you should pan that way because then this cuts to this. Finding the right music for your project can take away time from you pursuing what you love. Soundstripe's mission is to keep creatives creating, and their music library makes it simple to do just that. Soundstripe takes the pain out of finding the perfect song and gets you back to editing your project. Soundstripe offers unlimited music for filmmakers, licensed high-quality music for film for a fraction of the cost. Listen to all the music you want in their stock music library, and then check out their monthly and yearly subscriptions. For the quality of music they offer, you can't find a better price. They have the best members such as Jared from South Carolina, a great guy who said, Soundstripe really fosters creative freedom. 
There are so many more possibilities of what can be accomplished because of this service. They are a company founded by musicians. Listen to a thoughtfully curated library of songs written by hand-picked artists today. No complicated agreements or usage restrictions. Simple as that. Save 10% on a Soundstripe subscription using the promo code NOFILMSCHOOL at checkout. Create with confidence. Create with Soundstripe. That's soundstripe.com. So you mentioned that you're editing in your head. And this is something I wanted to ask you about because a lot of times, whether it's a short or feature, if you're working on a low budget or whatever, like most of us are always, you're always not necessarily getting the coverage you need or you're like, I hope that's the coverage. I don't know. You find out later. Mm. And if you're, it's like when you got to the, to the editing part of the process, having had such a short schedule and limited everything, Mm -hmm. were there times where you were like horrified because you didn't get the coverage you needed or how were you able to deal with that? Because, or did you have to find strategies or did you get what you needed based on like, tell us about that. I actually, yeah, you both saw the movie, right? Yes. Yes. Remember the timer that comes up? We didn't. We weren't gonna do that. So we were gonna do practical stuff to say the timer. Like it would be someone's shirt that says eight, and then there's like a tab that says seventeen, or someone's receipt. So it'll be to, uh, the, to the action. But we didn't have time to do that. So like for people listening, because it's all sets in one day, Monday, yeah. and so as the day goes on, that's the times. So, so in other words, the title cards that are in the film, you originally thought of shooting those in creative, practical ways. But yeah. didn't have time to grab no that. Time. So those inserts essentially didn't work. Mm-hmm. Got it. So there was that. There was this other joke where when Jim meets his uh, neighbor and he, t- he basically tells him all the shit that he's doing wrong. In one of the scenes where they're shooting and the b- bullets bounce, all the bullets hit those things that he mentioned. Like his plant will bah! The raccoon gets scared. We didn't have time. I wish we did because it would have been a nice little tie-up. Um... <laughs> There was just ee, there was so many things that we didn't that we didn't get, but but you couldn't do reshoots. We cannot do reshoots. So that we, wasn't even an option. No option. And you only had nine hours every shoot day. And why nine hours? Is that because of the reality crew that's following you the whole time? Yes, sir. Yeah. So talk talk to us a little bit about that. What what was it like to have this reality TV uh, crew following you the whole time, pulling you aside to do interviews? Does that did that mess up your flow? Did it make you a little subconscious about how you were directing on set? I mean, I think it helped me work under pressure a lot because they're like, you fuck up. They're there. So it really helped me focus. I mean, I know at times I might have not looked like the most friendliest guy, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just, I'm working. Like, you know what I mean? Like, of course I'll answer. I got lucky. Like, they they were fantastic people. Like, we got along really well. Like, I still stay in touch with all the camera crew. They send me pictures because they're like, three of them from five are working on this uh, this series in San Antonio. And they were texting pictures of them, like, drinking, like, hey, we miss you, buddy. And I'm like, hey, I'm with Kenny and Jamie. Like, we just got along. We, we got along great. We were friends. And um, they're doing a job. And they know I'm doing a job. And there was, there was times where it's like, oh, move over. Okay, cool. Hey, we need a we need a, a on the fly interview. Can you give me two minutes so I can just put this lens? Cool. It's treat people the way you want to be treated, and that's it. So no, it was stressful, but they were good a, people. That's a good lesson, just as a filmmaker in general, in terms of treating your crew and cast the mm-hmm. same way. Like always, I, I found like always be grateful. You can't say thank you enough. Uh, you know, essentially, uh, everybody's working hopefully to move in the same direction. Um, and in this case, they weren't getting paid. Right, your 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 casting crew essentially, exactly. yeah, right. So they're doing it for exposure um, to be on the show. So mm-hmm. that's great to hear, though, that the the other the reta- reality TV crew there wasn't so much an obstacle. There. And no. it's great to hear that you stay in touch with them as well. Super so. cool guys, super cool guys. Um, but going back to the um, the scenes, yeah, Ryan and I had this thing. And once he started realizing what I was trying to do, he just went, dude, there's no time. Tell me what to do. But what he did was he planted out a little line. This is the movie. He drew a line left to right, A to Z or A to B. This is the movie. Cherry pick the big scenes that need to come out really cool. And then the rest, get coverage to tell the story, basic coverage, and if we have time, we'll go in for more extra coverage. Oh, interesting. So the big scenes was like the, the, the shooting and the, and the party. Like, that was one day. 
where it's like this is all we're doing let's make it good as we're as good as we can so that's that was what we were trying to do again you need to know your limitations and i know everyone wants to be avant-garde and everyone wants to be the new whiplash kid and all the shit but it's like they had two million dollars and a crew you had seven grand and a plus one know your limitations but use them to your advantage that's what ryan was like dude don't let it get to you and i'm like oh you're right you're right you're right let's do it like that hmm. that's one. so that means this cherry-picked scenes you had mm-hmm. those were what you shot first and then the no we just put more time into them you just put more time into mm-hmm. them. They just had stars on the production schedule. Yeah, like, this is important. Not, yeah. Like the record store scene, we had to shoot that in two days. But for me, that scene with they had their heart to heart, which is my homage to planes, trains, and automobiles, is it's pivotal because this is where their humanity is actually shown. So it's like we need two hours to shoot these three shots because we want the emotionality to be there. Or else you just you'll get bored. You don't identify with any of them. That obviously really helped those scenes. The stuff that you couldn't, you're like, you know what, these are not my cherry pick scenes. Were you still able to get those? Were you satisfied with how that came out or? or? Yeah, I mean, uh, I wish that like, like I said, that the action scenes were like longer or bigger. But I mean, like we couldn't get any blood, like the blood splatters were not, I was not happy with them. So I decided to amp up the violence with sound. So it would cut away, and the sound effects sell the, the, the gravity of it. So that's what we, would, we did. As soon as we were like, okay. It, I think the biggest lesson, and I've said it many times with them, was like I, this show was about zigging and zagging. Instead of having an issue and you're like just standing there, it's like, can't do it? Cool. Left. Let's move on. Huh. You let it get to you. You're just burning time. I and like I, that, zigging and zagging. And it worked. It worked. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think it did. So, yeah, I guess, you know, based on everything you've told us in the film, for other filmmakers, this low-budget, short shooting day, is this a model without the show, without Robert Rodriguez, without the Ellery Network? Is this a model that you would recommend to other filmmakers if they're, like, going to do their first feature? Of course. Or second feature. I mean, if if, if, the... Or third. Let's be honest, if you're going to do a period piece, don't do it. Adapt it to, like, modern times or something. I mean, you just have to move around with the uh, the squares and the boxes that you do. Like, but I don't think that a budget should stop you. My first short film was $1,000. The 48 was 300 Like, if you don't have $300 to, to work on a film, then it's like you, you don't want it bad enough. You'll you'll do shit for it. Like Robert uh, donated blood. I ate canned mushrooms and tap water for a week so I can <laughs> save money. If you really want it, you'll find a way. My mom has a really good saying in Spanish because, of course, because cliches, but it's true. Querer es poder. Wanting is doing. Simple as that. If you really want to, you'll do it. Do you want to go see the Mission Impossible movie? Yes. You'll go. Simple as that. I'll get somebody in to get me in the back door. It looks great. Exactly, exactly. You'll find a way to do it. So if you really have a project that you really love and you can come up with a couple hundred, maybe two or three thousand dollars, go do it. And then you'll learn from there. And then you go up and then you go up, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I know you mentioned that you knew Lo-Fi wasn't the right film for this budget. No. And you knew that another one was. How important is that, picking the right project for that budget? going to be for other filmmakers it's okay to be confident there's nothing wrong with that as a director you have to be confident because you're getting 30 questions every hour in this scenario because we were small when you have crew and cast and a big one you're going to get questions every minute and i want to say like three or four you have to be very confident in what you're doing but not cocky enough that you get blinded with your self-confidence and keep going I couldn't have done lo-fi for seven. I said that back then and I still say that now. I couldn't have. Not at the caliber that I wanted. It would have been, eh, I saw what he was trying to do. So it's very important that you choose the right project and you utilize your lacks of technology or your restrictions 
in a creative way. Like, I know not a lot of people are going to see Monday. But if we're trying to do maybe a second part or something, how do you do creatively where it comes in and you know something about the first one? Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully people will go see it. But you see what I mean? It's like just utilize the negativity and try to come up with something. So speaking of being able to see Monday, uh, it, obviously you guys premiered at South by Southwest as part mm -hmm. of the Rebel Without a Crew um, mm -hmm. series. Uh, you're taking it out to film festivals right now. Yeah. Where... If, around the country like where could people check out monday well we're gonna be in mexico if people from mexico checks us uh, checks us out um thursday august 30th i think we're gonna be in cozumel at the cozumel film festival where the opening opening movie nice then we go to el paso and we're gonna be screening at the alamo draft house friday so we're gonna oh, have to cool. fly back immediately and then we're doing a screening at fort bliss for the the troops so that's pretty cool and then August 18th, I think, we're going to be closing the Holly Shorts Film Festival in L.A. So if you guys are in L.A. and want to check it out, come on by. You'll have fun, Excellent. I think. Excellent. Yeah. That <laughs> and we were saying also, again, the series Rebel Without a Crew currently on Go90 before Go90 disappears on July 30th. And then reappearing this fall on the El Rey network. Yeah. And then if for those people that aren't in LA or Mexico or in El Paso or mm -hmm. are, aren't troops in Fort Bliss, it sounds like <laughs> uh, by this fall, in addition to the series, they're going to release, oh, release yeah. the films as part of the El Rey Network's premiere yeah. of the series. It'll be on El Rey Network and video on demand. So you can check out all the movies and uh, see how we made them. And there's going to be like special content that didn't come out with Go90, I think. And yeah, so you get, Check your check if you have El Rey in your area because, yeah, check yeah. out how five movies got made for seven grand. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's so informative for filmmakers, not just because you get to see Alejandro, but like for other filmmakers. And I think it's so informative how they did it and just their struggles to kind of make mm -hmm. you feel less alone that, okay, this is kind of like some stuff you might be going through. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely fun to watch yeah fun to watch and definitely encouraging as well i mean i think it's it's just another great filmmaking tool we like to promote those on no film school mm -hmm. and not only do you not feel alone but you'll see things that have happened to you out on sets and then also like we were talking about earlier it's, it's kind of this no excuses attitude like if you want it you should be doing it you need to find a way to make it happen and, and find the right project that you've come up with that's going to work for whatever budget you have, whatever ever resources you have. And, I agree. And basically stop telling yourself no. Yeah. I think we're our, at least for me, I know I'm, I'm my biggest obstacle. I need to get out of my own way and get out there and just do it and make make movies. So it was really fun to, to watch it on the series and also see the end result of that. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. absolutely. And I, so I had a friend that gave me, because I wasn't going to do the show. Once I found out it's like you're by yourself, I was like, oh, fuck this. I, <laughs> the title I, is Rebel Without a Crew. I know, so. I know. But they, but I, uh, oh, you were serious about that? Um, I almost didn't, didn't do the show. Um, and I spoke to a friend from, uh, from London. Uh, his name is Tom Donnelly. He's a, he's a writer. And he, um, he told me, look, man, I'm 60 years old. And I'm a perfectionist. My advice is do it. Because when you get older, you're going to regret not jumping at other things. And I wish I wasn't as a perfectionist as I, as I am. And that, that one was the one I was like, I think I called him and be like, all right, I'm in. Like, just to hear that, you know? Yeah, yeah. great advice. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, you guys have both shot features now, sort of in Albuquerque, although you were other places because of the show, but both of you shot here. Yeah. I guess last line of advice, if someone's listening to this, should we, aka, should I, <laughs> should anyone listening, is Albuquerque a place you would come to make your first feature? Definitely. Uh, I, I would say yes. Um, again, I think it helps, obviously, if you've lived here for a little while. Mm -hmm. As with any any town, you want to have relationships, get to know crew, get to know cast mm -hmm. um, ahead of time, work with them, hopefully on shorts, um, so that you have some experience and, and, and just go and meet people. Um, but definitely, I, like I said, uh, it's not just that you have a great crew base and, and great talent pool here, mm -hmm. um, but you do have the tax uh, credits. 25% uh, of your budget comes back to you essentially on things that you've spent here in New Mexico. And if you make the whole thing here in, in New Mexico, that's 25% of your yep. budget that's gonna come back. And so that means, maybe it means if 
if people invested in your film, you're able to give back to those investors before you've even sold it. Maybe it means you now have that money down the road for marketing and distribution mm -hmm. um, for your film as you're taking it out and getting it out into the world. Um, and I, I just can't stress it enough. And it's, and it's different from other states' incentives. It is, it is if literally a check that gets mailed to you. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I have to sell this tax credit to a business that's in New Mexico, no. And the New Mexico Film Office um, is great to work with. They're easy to work with. They have a great website that answers a lot of questions, but just email them, pick up the phone, call them, ask questions. Here in the in the city of Albuquerque, we also have a fantastic film office. Um, uh, actually, a good friend of mine, Alicia Keys, just just took over that uh, that role. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to work with filmmakers, both big and small. So yes, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend coming to New Mexico. Yeah, in general, in Albuquerque specifically. Let's say it's not your first feature film. Come mm -hmm. and do your second or third one here. Oh, please, yeah, absolutely. Just check it out. or. Let's say you can't travel. Just do your first feature film. Do the movie wherever you are, and just no excuses now. Right. And that's the thing yes. is, and people might think of New Mexico and we're all desert. Um, yeah, if you, have a, if you have a Western, sure, you're going to want to come to New Mexico. Or if your movie takes place in West Texas, every single movie that takes place in West Texas is shot here in New Mexico. <laughs> but we have everything. Like, we can make uh, your film look like anywhere the in Avengers the United States. The Avengers were shot here, man. The Avengers were shot here. That giant, their big headquarters gets blown up at the end. That is a high school. That is in a Albuquerque, high school in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> okay, so uh, Atrisco uh, Heritage High School, that's the one. So um, people can't believe it. We have so many resources here. It's definitely worth people coming and checking out. So if you're feeling priced out of LA and New York or burnt out on LA or New York, or you're not getting the gigs you know, to support yourself. Uh, cost of living is a lot cheaper here in New mm -hmm. Mexico. Uh, yeah, can't say enough about it. And the people here are fucking awesome so and contact serious grippage and light serious grippage and light they yeah help indie filmmakers all the time all the time and actually here kitty which is in go 90 helping out in post um and and just people like working with one another so um you, you know it definitely can't sing its praises high enough i agree wow wonderful thanks you guys so much for sharing all this wisdom and it's been so cool to get you, Chris, on here talking with me and Alejandro. Thanks for fun. telling us everything about your show. And yeah. We can't wait to check it out and make sure you, you watch it and check out the series. We'll put links for everyone to listen to. So thank you guys so much. Thanks, thank Oakley. You. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Monday is currently on the festival circuit with a special screening at the Holly Shorts Film Festival in August. The series Rebel Without a Crew can currently be streamed online at go90.com. If you liked this conversation, come back for a new one every Monday and tune in on Thursdays to Indie Film Weekly for all the latest news in this weird moving target that is independent film. To listen, all you have to do is search for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. If you want to reach out about anything, throw me a bone on Twitter at Oakswagon, anywhere the Volkswagen will go. And the official cult, I mean filmmaking resource, can be found on Twitter at No Film School. Do keep in touch.